Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey, adventurers of Lost Treasure, and welcome to this edition of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and ready to hunt for parchment with weird symbols that will hopefully tell us how amazing we are as podcasters is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. It goes back a long time, for long pretty time. much spans all of history. There's hieroglyphics <laughs> about feeling film. And our is it prophecy then? Would that be a prophecy? That's right. We are the fulfillment of <laughs> the film podcast, blah, 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 the film podcasting prophecies. <laughs> Here to bring joy and positivity to the universe. Yes. Well, I'm glad we could fulfill that prophecy and continue to do so each week. I got called on that, by the way, during the Oscars party because I was with my family and I was wearing my feeling film shirt and I posted something on social media beforehand saying, you know, I really just don't care about this that much anymore. So I'm not putting out my predictions to the public or whatever. Then they start happening right in real time. And I start reacting and getting upset about things and just, I'm just going off and everybody kept like looking at me and they were like, but Aaron, every movie makes us feel something. And oh. I was just like, are you serious right now? This, like, movie, this movie makes me feel like poo is what this does. Like, oh, yes. They were, they were throwing it back in my face, and I had wow. no comeback. <laughs> well, we're not changing our slogan. No, I think we need it. <laughs> most movies make us feel something. <laughs> yeah, most of I mean, every everyone does. I feel mad sometimes when a movie doesn't live up to my expectations, but... Fortunately, the movie that we're covering this week did not. It was very, very much a fun one for both of us. And we are going to be tackling the newest action adventure comedy, I think is what we'd call it, The Lost City, starring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. We enjoyed it and hope if you are listening to this episode that you saw it and enjoyed it too, because we're about to spoil the heck out of it. Listeners, just to let you know, Aaron's got his kind of green screen thing happening in the background. And when he moves in certain ways, he disappears and all I see is his hoodie and it's kind of creepy so i may get distracted here and there so if i don't say something profound it's probably that's the, probably the reason why <laughs> fair enough all right well for all intents and purposes the lost city is a classic treasure hunting caper taking us back to the days of brendan Fraser's the mummy and national treasure so my question for you to start out with aaron was does it hit all the right notes for you in terms of that kind of movie genre, whatever we're talking about. It hits some of them, and it hits the ones that it focuses on, I think, very well. There are things about it that would not make it my favorite treasure hunting adventure movie ever, and that's largely because well, we can talk about it in depth why but later, but I don't feel like it's the treasure hunting aspect of this or you know, the archaeologist aspect, the actual finding and you know, working through the puzzle to get to the ancient thing is that interesting and exciting. It has a great emotional moment in the end, but it's not like the crux of it, right? This is really a rom-com, more of a calm, straight comedy in general, and which is crazy for me that I loved it so much because I just don't like typical comedies that are focused on being just a comedy, but I felt like that's what this was. And I enjoyed it because of that. And see those other movies like The Mummy 
and National Treasure and that kind of film, even in Uncharted, they're all about the score, the adventure itself. And in this, you kind of, they're not active participants in the adventure in the same way because they're kind of like, they fall into it, right? It's like an accidental thing. I mean, Chan Tatum's bumbling character is just falling his way through this whole thing as it goes. So what I do love about it, though, is just that overall aesthetic and vibe. And I like the ability to take that formula and do something like this with it. This kind of reminds me also of, what's that movie? You turned me on to it years ago, and I was late on it. Has the Rock, The Rundown. Oh, yeah, The Rundown. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of reminds me a little bit of like The Rundown. Uh, and it's got some action, well-placed, et cetera. But the film that I really compare this to the most, Patrick, is from the 80s, and I think it's an absolute homage to this. Romancing the Stone, Kathleen Turner, Michael Douglas. Yeah. Spawned yeah. a sequel called Jewel of the Now. So that film was an actual adaptation as well. Uh, of a, Well, it, was a, it wasn't an adaptation, I'm sorry. It was written and it was depicted in the same way, where the opening scene is the author in the story as she's writing it. And we fade out of the story and the author is at her desk in front of a typewriter writing the book same thing happens in this movie exactly then when we get to the the big event the book tour there's actually a big sign right there on the stage and it says like romancing the stage or something but it's a very clear play on words of romancing the stone and then when you kind of go through it it plays out very much like that where the author is unexpectedly in this situation where they have some knowledge or they are believed to have knowledge and they're being kind of chased down by these villains that want them to help find a thing. And they end up with a guy and, you know, Michael Douglas and Channing Tatum's characters are different, but boy, beat for beat, even in the middle, I was rewatching the movie, by the way, that's kind of how I remember it so well. After I saw the lost city, there's even a moment kind of deep into the film where after running for a while, they end up in some little remote village and they have to find transportation and they're trying to find their way out of it. And there's a nighttime scene where they go dancing in the middle of the town with all the town. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is literally recreated in the Lost City. It has to be on purpose. And so I found it to be a very strong homage to that film and the way that it did the exact same thing by taking a story about this author who writes adventure novels and in this case they just happen to have you know a really strong romantic slant to them and it makes for great entertaining you know movie watching and and it's a good adventure you get to see some jungle get to see some boats and some water stuff you get crazy mustache twirling villains and really nutso antics and it's just a it was a big blockbuster patrick that had a-list stars and was unique and not part of a franchise. And I was like, this is cool. So I, I look at all that and I hear what you're saying, that it feels the word serviceable came to mind when it came to paying that tribute to those types of movies, the, the action adventure, treasure hunting. And you know, I think about the fact that if it's not a beat for beat remake of Romancing the Stone, but 
I think it's far enough removed from when that movie came out that it doesn't feel like a retread. It feels very much like, oh yeah, I remember that story being a lot of fun for all those different reasons. Let's just replace or let's update and put it in a situation that feels more current. Let's include social media. The use of smartwatches and Wi-Fi to further the plot along I thought was really great. The fact that it's a trashy romance novel, you know, that that stems from a, a love for archaeology. There's reasons why Sandra Bullock's character just doesn't like it because she feels like it's cheap, like it's the it's the cash grab of what she ultimately wanted to do. And so I think the movie feels like a really fresh, original story because of the fact that it's not part of an IP, the fact that it's not the mummy part seven or the fact that they're not no yet. Super, no, <laughs> Everything <laughs> is they'll eventually. Bring, they'll bring it into a universe of some kind. But you also mentioned the, the A-list stars. And I think that that's probably what really gravitated me to it. And what this is one of the ones that my wife and I went to. In fact, when I was telling her about the movie, as I mentioned on the show, when I know that she's not into one, I'll usually try to knock it out on a, like a Friday afternoon while everybody's at school. Um, I've got some extra time, take some time off work. And this was one that I felt like, you know what, I think she might enjoy this. And so when I pitched it to her, she goes, what's that one about? I said, it's the one with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. She says, oh yeah, yeah, I need a good laugh right now. So she was already kind of predisposed to want to enjoy it. And she loved it. She's had a really great time watching it, laughing at different parts, leaning into, you know, leaning into my ear and, you know, saying different things like, oh man, is this going to happen? Or, oh gosh, I can't believe he just said that. And I think in part, what was satisfying was getting to experience that with her. I wish that we had a full theater. I mean, this was um, Saturday night in Little Rock, the night when Arkansas was playing Duke. And so we knew it was oh. not going to be a full <laughs> crowd. And it was just, we just knew that. And yeah, for a guy who likes going to see movies at one o'clock on a Friday when there's nobody in the theater, I was okay with that. Uh, I felt like this one could have had more energy with more people in it because there were a lot of laugh out loud moments where audience reactions would have enhanced what I already enjoyed. But overall, it felt very fun. And I feel like we need more of these. I feel like that there's a sense of, you mentioned it a while back, that it either the stupidity of it has to be five stars or no stars. Like you can't value a three-star movie. You can't value a movie that's good and not great. And and that's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. Will this be one that I watch again? Maybe, but there are other movies that hit those same notes in a more powerful way. I will watch National Treasure on repeat right. because it's an adventure story and it's got some romance here right there. I would even go back to Jewel of the Nile. Like that's what I grew up on was Jewel of the Nile. I had no idea yes. that it was a sequel you to didn't? a movie that I'd really? never seen. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, well, well, it's like, actually Jewel considered a flop and killed the series. So I would be curious. They're both on HBO Max, but I'd be really curious what you think about Romancing the Stone because it's considered the vastly better movie by by the by the world critic whatever well i remember watching it i remember being more familiar with jewel of the nile and then watching romance in the stone afterwards sort of in hindsight because i found out about it so i'll have to go back and watch it with this in mind to kind of see pretty what, cool to see those things i also wanted to point out though to your point i got to, so normally i see things in press screenings we sometimes we'll get an option of a press screening or what they call a promo screening promo screening is 
for the people, right? It's what I used to go to before I got press critic credentials where I would stand in line and I would like, you know, I don't know. They were, they were hyping it up for the public, not for critics. And it's usually an event. And so I typically go to the press screening because it's earlier and it's just critics and it feel, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. It's elitist, whatever. It's mine. I don't like being around. It's nice. I get my seats. I don't have to deal You're with not people. Slap anybody, are you? It's better, but yeah. I couldn't go because Arkansas was playing that Thursday night in the first game. Ironically, kind of a weird tie-in, and so I didn't go because it was March Madness, and I had my friends over for that whole weekend. So I had to go to the promo screening. Well, my son or my roommate and I for this one roll up in the promo screening, and it's got a radio station there. And sometimes this happens. And they're giving out prizes, and there's like a photo wall with, you know, a monkey and jungle thing behind you. And you're like, you know, had to go through some vines that were hanging to get into the theater. Point that I'm getting to is the, cr that the crowd was completely full. So I got that experience even in my press screening here of the, and it was so much better than it ever could have been had I watched it for home at home for the first time on my couch by myself because the communal laughter was nearly constant. There was always a chuckle and a giggle. And when things happen in the movie that are unexpected to famous people and a way that you get everybody reacting to that at once is just a cool thing. And I agree with you. So it's this and marry me being two of my top like four movies of the year right now is insane and yet they're kind of in that same vein. They hit that same thing for me that you're talking about that we've talked about where they are just feel good, fun movies. And I would rewatch this, but I don't think it's ever going to be a classic like National Treasure or The Mummy like you mentioned. And I do think I go back to that first thing. It's just because I don't care as much about the adventure part. The relationship is what drives this to me. It's the chemistry yes. between Sandra and Channing and you know, everybody else is doing a great job. I'm actually a big fan of all the supporting performances in this movie. But they drive it, not the adventure itself. Those other movies that have become classics, you know what the treasure is and you care about the treasure and that's interesting. No one will remember what the treasure in the Lost City was in a year from now. Right. But they will remember what a goof that Channing Tatum was. And they how great and they'll remember what happened to Brad Pitt. They absolutely they will. And I think this is one of the strengths of the movie is the fact that you take presumptions and turn them on their head. So when we see Sandra Bullock's performance, I think Miss Congeniality. I think someone who is not in her element, someone who is just trying to kind of push through and is sort of forced to do something and her reaction to these things, to how she has to translate the parchment, her sarcasm the way that she feels uncomfortable in that sequin dress uh, and the fact that she cares so much about preserving it because it's on loan, even after she tears it and wants to carry it around with her. It's just, it's, it's classic Sandra Bullock. It's, it's not the Sandra Bullock that we get in something like speed. Although some of that comes out, she has really great comedic timing that I, I don't forget about, but I wish I could see more of because the Sandra Bullock that I fall in love with is the Sandra Bullock of Miss Congeniality and movies like The Lost City. And then you couple that with Channing Tatum. And I'm going to say Channing Tatum because my wife kept mispronouncing his name, calling him Tatum Channing or, or 
Channing Tatum. He kept just kept doing that. And I was like, <laughs> it's Channing Tatum. And then I kept and then I started doing that. So Channing Tatum. The fact that you have this complete rippling muscled guy who is sort of an airhead. I think watching him do that is very much kind of like watching a Arnold Schwarzenegger in a kindergarten cop. These characters that you recognize in a certain genre. You know, he's a comedic actor for sure, but he's also a potential heartthrob and he could play big action if he wanted to, maybe not so as strong as maybe a, you know, the rock or even Brad Pitt, but you have these other two characters in him and Brad that are so over the top and unconventional for who you would expect them to be as actors that watching them play out these roles is such an entertaining thing. The way these scenes are shot, like with Brad Pitt going through, and his name is Jack Trainer, which I think is fantastic. The fact that he reminds me a lot of kind of an amped up version of his character in the, the real estate deal <laughs> where he's just, he's real subtle, but he absolutely knows what he has to do. And so watching how he gets to the island, Channing Tatum wants to tag along and that kind of back and forth, it just kept the movie flowing. And I think you're right, Aaron. I think the characters drive the story. The treasure is not something I'll remember, but I'll remember the performances. I'll remember the fact that watching Channing and Sandra together, working together uncomfortably, and then eventually getting together it's such a fun part of that romantic comedy. It really is more of a romantic comedy than it is an adventure. And I think if you go into the movie thinking that, you won't be disappointed. It's like an amped up romantic comedy as opposed to an action adventure with a romance tied in. Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, Marry Me, it's another rom-com. Totally different structures of rom-com, but they are characters who, as presented to us at, first blush don't go together they're mismatched but they find something in common and it over the course of their relationship you know they come together it's it's a great it's a story we can relate to it's a story we want to relate to we, we we want to root for them there's no reason not to you know and i think the way that he is so not aggressive about it is something mm -hmm. that much i'm just gonna keep comparing them but much like in marry me same thing like it's not a dude who's like throwing himself at the woman because she's hot or whatever from the very start as as things kind of the layers peel back and we start to see these scenes where we realize he's doing things for her kind of quietly because he cares about her we learn that he just has grown to really kind of adore her and it, it is right. it's beautiful like it's yeah. truly beautiful he treats her like a queen and not as something to be obtained or acquired and he's out there trying to save her because he genuinely is concerned about her he wants to help and so you get that great setup and that reasoning behind it is everything he does is i use the word genuine and then i think that makes the comedy so funny even stuff that normally I think nine out of 10 movies like this, adult comedies, are going to lean into vulgar stuff. We talk about it all the time. It's my big pet peeve. 
that scene where he's got the leeches on him. Right. The way that was handled was about as tastefully hilarious for a sexual type of joke as you could ever get, in my opinion. Right. Like, I was yeah. cracking up because it felt realistic. It was like, well, yeah. this is, he's going to have to do this, right? And I love that moment. And then I love the moment where they're <laughs> going up against these dudes. By the way, they would have been dead several times. Just let's be real. But this is an adventure true. Very true. <laughs> and so they got these guys with machine guns coming at them in the misty fog, you know, fog of this forest, which is really cool the way it looks. And he has that brilliant idea to tear up her dress. And like you said, it's great that she, that's running shtick of like, she doesn't want to mess up the dress, doesn't want to mess up the dress. And so they do it and they are successful. And then the guy goes flying off the cliff. And the way that they both react to that is so refreshing because it's like the it's it reminds me this movie reminds me of game night too like as a unexpected yes. hit yeah. adult comedy remember the oh no he died moment at the you yeah. know when he goes into the plane thing that's mm -hmm. what that moment reminded me of it was like a we were trying to save ourselves but we had no intention of actually killing this man but like <laughs> oh, yeah, there he goes and they're like it maybe he's okay maybe you know i don't know man like all that stuff worked so great for me. And then I think from a rom-com perspective, I love the moment in the dance moment, of course. Chain Tatum's got to dance in any movie. You know, he came up through the Step Up film and then Magic Mike. He always dances. He's so good at that. And so that was a lovely moment. And then the moments in the actual caverns, which, by the way, I'm not climbing in that hole. You could shoot me. I'm not climbing in that hole. Like, yeah. that's in, it's not happening. I you, I would die of claustrophobia. I'd rather you just shoot me and it be over with. <laughs> but the way that he that in that moment, and he had done it once before, I believe as well. But he kind of gets her to start breathing. Oh, yeah, it's just one of the most that, romantic. What's that smell? Can you smell yeah. that? Yeah, that's just one of the most romantic things I've ever seen, not never, but like one of the most romantic things I've seen in a rom-com in, in a long time. And it's so refreshingly mm -hmm. unique and not romantic by default, but well, because of the sentiment about what he's really trying to accomplish, it, it is. Yeah. I think the word refreshing comes to mind for me a lot in this movie. And that's probably why I gravitate towards it and why my wife does too, is that none of these characters, while they do feel over the top for who we know them as, as actors, they don't feel inappropriate based on how they're acting. And the movie starts out with that great setup with her awkwardly trying to sit on the stool and they're at the book. He's doing it again with the, with the green screen guys, just letting you know <laughs> they're, they're doing it again on the uh, uh, they're on the, uh, they're on the press tour and she's trying to sit on that, that stool and the host is not doing her any favors. And you're right. He comes out in that insanely bad wig. And when it comes off, Aaron, I thought that because I didn't really know how bad they were going to carry this, I thought his, I knew his wig was fake, but I didn't know if it was going to be fake for us or fake for that audience or fake for the movie. And so when it comes off, I was kind of gasping going, Okay, I know that was supposed to happen in the movie, but is he supposed to in real life have that long hair? And so that whole bit Right. I thought was, he was gonna be more upset about it. Like like, oh my yes. gosh, my whole life is ruined because of my hair. 
and and I think that moment really triggered what you said earlier, which is he's not in it for him. He's in it for her and he's a caretaker for her because of the fact that as we find out later when he tells his story, she gave him a shot. And I thought, what an interesting way as he's telling the story to sort of throw in a little kind of moral message there that even if you think something is trash, art, other people may not. Because her whole deal is that she's writing these, what I would just call in air quotes, trashy romance novels. Those over-the-top, sensual, driven stories that really have not, no plot. They're really sort of uh, earmarked and an exclamation pointed by the the sexual moments. And of course, we never get that. We get we get a hint of it near the end where he's trying to kind of write the ending of this story as sort of a tongue-in-cheek moment, but we never get that. And so when he makes that comment later in the movie about how maybe what you call trash, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing from what I understood it, what you're calling trash is somebody else's treasure, essentially, that it's important to remember that, look, you didn't get in this to write these types of novels, but the fact is you have people that enjoy them and people that relish them. And that's true. Look, we all have our hobbies. I'm not gonna say we all have our guilty pleasures because as I've said on this show and many other times in real life, I preach this. If you like it, it should not make you feel guilty. There are no guilty pleasures in life. And there's a reason why that market is a big deal because there are enough people out there that enjoy those. So that would not feel as genuine. That moment, that kind of message wouldn't feel as genuine had we not gotten that great setup early on where he is at first, as it's perceived, kind of overbearing, like, why, why are you bothering her? Leave her alone. And I'm on her side at that point. But as we come to find out, his adoration for her, it's not sexual in nature. He's not trying to get in her pants. He is trying to really trying to lift just her up, lift her up, cultivate yeah. a relationship, protect her because mm -hmm. he sees that she's not happy. And the movie doesn't go into deep detail about this because it doesn't have to but it hints it just enough that we can start having empathy for these characters and yes using the word formulaic is not a bad thing this is very formulaic but there's a comfort level to that so when we get to that kind of ah oh, moment you know it's like the, it's like the when you watch an early 80s sitcom and you get the message of the show we get that in this movie it's that moment when they're really sort of talking about you know, how he grew up and, and the opportunities that he had versus what she had. And, and then, of course, we get to the, the third act where all the, all the fun stuff kind of comes to its uh, fun conclusion. But I think that it doesn't feel cheap. It really feels like, and what I was thinking as I was watching this is, you should never have to justify as a creator what you create if you feel like you're putting out something that you enjoy. And I felt like the director's, the Knee Brothers, I think they are. I forget they're... Yep, Aaron and Adam yeah. Knee. I thought that they loved what they did. And I felt they like too. they were... They they told the story cohesively. They balanced everything. There was enough comedy, enough drama, enough adventure that it really felt complete without feeling like it was bloated on one end of the spectrum or another. That was key to me, is the pacing. The pacing and the flow of the comedy and the romantic beats and the slowed down moments. And I felt, like I said, I felt like all the supporting characters I enjoyed the heck out of her assistant, her manager, rather 
Devoy, uh, Javoy, Devine, Joy, Randolph was awesome and 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 just a complete hilarious joke again with a marry me comparison to the same kind of character in marry me that is there for jennifer lopez right as a manager and i thought that she was great patty harrison is the actress who plays the new assistant that's there for the social the media, social media stuff. one yeah absolute riot <laughs> every line she was like a standout every I mean, she didn't have a lot of screen time but boy was it hilarious and memorable and characters like that were really perfectly paced like the time that we spent away from channing and sandra when the adventure had gotten underway properly right so post jack trainer getting shot and killed and then being on the run when we would cut back to the manager and the assistant trying to get some way, you know, talking to the cops or whatever, those scenes were so brief that they worked. You, you could have stretched this movie out. You could have made the search for them on the mainland, a much bigger part of this. And a, you could have cut back and forth and it would, it would have been worse for it had you done that. Yeah. I read somewhere that there were a ton of test screenings for this and that they had just continued to tweak and edit and repiece it together, getting feedback. And I thought that that was great to hear. Like, these are pretty freshman directors. I'm not sure if this is their first feature or not. I can't recall off the top of my head, but I know that they haven't made a lot of stuff if they did make previous stuff, not at this level at least. And so that was good. Like, they did a good job. They used those tools as they should to figure out how to make their movie tighter and better. And it really did just, it makes it, you never feel overwhelmed. The you're, you're right there with them the whole time. I never once looked at my watch or thought about the clock when watching this. And that's a, not something I can say often, frankly. Yeah. The use of the supporting characters, I think is such a, an important thing because of the volume. And this is a small cast. I mean, maybe less than less than a dozen of those that have speaking main parts, contributors. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that there were enough surprises in the movie. You know, with Brad Pitt's character Jack Trainer being killed off as he is, either that suddenly in that particular way, I thought kind of turned turned my experience on its head a little bit. I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're not going to be using him. <laughs> in fact, my wife. She said, uh, I don't remember what Alan's like character name is in the books, but when when uh, when Jack Trainer rescues Loretta, he says uh, she turned to me and she says, oh, I guess that's her new I guess that's her new bow or, or something like that. And right when that happened, he just gets shot or blown up or whatever it is. And I go, I don't think that's what, that's going to be your boyfriend. And so it was just like, <laughs> all right, I guess we're in Good for guess. a little twist and turn here. But, you know, later on, we get introduced to Oscar, played by Oscar Nunez, <laughs> who I know from The Office, who also played a character named Oscar. And he's been in so many other things as a supporting character. He's been in several TV shows. And he is just another one of those of fresh air who brings to the story that nothing feels wasted. Their characters don't feel like they're remotely like yeah i could do with less of them and the reason the reason aaron is because there's not too many of them 
and the and the runtime is not terribly long. I was talking uh, recently with a friend of mine about ensemble casts, and when you get to an ensemble cast, the risk that you run is the longer your feature or the longer you have them on screen, the more you feel like you have to use each one of them in some way to justify so, their presence there. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, they just feel like they're filling out space. And this type of movie obviously was driven by Channing and Sandra, but these supporting characters just accented their adventure even more. And by the end of it, we get great resolution with all these characters, even you know Brad Pitt coming back. I think he's alive using so the that, next template of his brain. I don't uh, know what that's all about. I was annoyed at that scene. I, okay. I was actually frustrated, and I wish it didn't exist because it's funny out of context. But it brings into question the impact of, you know, of what actually happened in the movie. Because if he was to come back alive, like really, truly alive, then it undoes that powerful moment completely for me. And I don't think he's back. I think it's supposed to be some like projection type of thing for the most part. You know, like, I mean, who knows? He's a mentalist or whatever. It's all gobbledygook to me. So, I mean, it's cute to see him back but i yeah the way he goes out in this is just so cool because it's you just don't see it coming and it's so funny to have him interact with her and the way that he uses the line that he steals the line (laughs) and he's like that's my line i'm supposed to say that and then and then just out like the shot and no one no one saw it coming and that's so rare that you can ever say that about Mm -hmm a death like that in a movie where it just, it wasn't teased out in the marketing. It wasn't leaked somehow. You just got to experience it fresh and have that jaw dropping. Brad Pitt just died. Like, and the movie's still pretty early. Like what is going on moment? And it was, it was brilliant and such a great way to set up like Channing having to be, because if this ended up being like a three person, romp through the jungle there's no way it could have resulted in a a similar effective kind of romance right. i don't think right right i i think that uh from a cinematography point of view i love the scenes the set pieces were a lot of fun they felt very clean especially when jack trainer goes in to infiltrate everything that he does i thought was very kind of james bond-esque you know putting the bombs on the and completely the- non-lethal yeah that was yeah. cool too go to sleep and that whole bit where he's going into each <laughs> one of the tents and Channing Tatum uh, tried to do it. it was hilarious. Yeah, he's trying to do it. He's just like that happening. And he's like, just going to sleep. I know we're on the I know we're on the, you know, the backside of the Oscars. And so I'll just this is my only dig. I'm gonna say Channing Tatum had a slap similar to Will Smith. It's <laughs> rough the way that he slapped some of these guys down and and and, and Jack's like, what are you doing? Like he never, he never does a close fit. It's always a slap. He's like, you stole that one from me. I was going to get him. (laughs) So funny. It's so the timing. People don't understand how good Channing Tatum is at comedy. I mean, he's great in dog earlier, like just a month ago, I watched dog Mm. and the movie with him and he's so good comedically in that too. And yeah, but uh, Daniel Radcliffe as well, like as a mustache twirling villain, this is what I want. Don't give me too much. You could easily in much more of that character, and I would have been like Mm-mm. annoyed. 
not deep enough and too much, but like he's yeah. just he's got just enough of a backstory, you know. Mm-hmm. He we know that character, that backstory, it's like a trope, so it's easy to just okay, I'm going with it. It felt like Uncharted. Random rich dude has like this mercenary corporation out in the middle of nowhere that he's paid to unearth the city and needs you to needs Nathan Drake to go get the final step so he can take the actual treasure because he's too stupid to do it himself. And like that's exactly what it felt like and it worked perfectly. And I love that how it kind of plays out towards the end with him sort of betraying people and his own guys essentially being able to turn on him. And then the final moment with him is just hilarious too with him like they're they're on the boat and he realizes they're picking him <laughs> up and he starts running to the back running. of the boat. I think it's Oscar, Oscar isn't like, it? It's your yeah. guy. And he yeah. tackles him. He's like, where were you going? It's a boat. <laughs> I was bust I was li- I couldn't stop laughing. It was so funny. But I thought he was perfect in this like minuscule, yeah. like just really kind of like too high end too rich for his own good too egotistical kind of i deserve the world like mentality well and he's 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 got obvious disadvantages that they they put on screen he's he's a shorter individual you know he's not a tall guy so sandra bullock i think is a little bit taller than him obviously channing tatum is is taller but he's got the name abigail fairfax this gender neutral thing that i think all of his brothers have as well so the the film just really sets you up for like, okay, this is going to be the bad guy, but he's going to be a bad guy who has semi-legit reasons for being frustrated with his life. <laughs> and I never felt sorry for him, but I, I could feel the, the motive. The motive felt genuine for this kind of villain. So he definitely filled the shoes of a mustache. I thought, you know, from a costume standpoint, he always looked just fabulous. My favorite scene with him was when he builds that whole uh like smorgasbord of like a sh- sh- the opening scene board. with cheese right yeah he builds that and then when she turns him down he goes okay and he puts the 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 box down and then the plane opens the hanger op- yeah opens the hanger and everything and he's just kind of there's a hairier standing there, there and it, yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's so good shot. and we get a lot of those still moments in the closing credits i thought the closing credits were a lot of fun to sort of call back to when they were you know, showing the, the cast and stuff like that, they brought that moment back. There are a lot of great technical shots that just make this feel like a big movie. Like it's not huge. It's not Avengers huge, but it's a big movie. It's a theater movie. And I think that when you have a budget like this, it still feels abbreviated, but it feels appropriately abbreviated. Like the big scenes didn't feel too big walking through the jungle and, and all these different things. And all that stuff is always going to make me go, yep, if it feels like a Nathan Drake adventure, I'll take it. And then when you add comedy to it, then I'll take that too. Because that those scenes with with uh, with Brad and Channing reminded me a lot of Nate and Sully. You know, they're they're back and forth banter. Like, what are you doing? What's going on? Come on, let me handle this. And man, that's that's difficult to write because you have to have the right people, and the right timing, and the right beats. And as someone who always wants to get better at filmmaking, I'm looking at this stuff going, okay, what made that work? And so for me, if this was a freshman or a sophomore feature by these guys, I thought, yes, getting that feedback from focus groups with the different screenings, I thought that's that's a great avenue to go on. And, and 
this is a great experimental movie to say, hey, watch this. This is how comedy can work in a way that feels balanced. This is how adventure can feel. You're not getting your Michael Bay-esque explosions. You're getting things that feel tight and just it just looked good to watch. And so I was smiling the whole time. It was just a uh, just a great movie from start to finish. Yep, I completely agree. And I, I'm looking forward to watching it again as soon as it comes to whatever streaming surface. I mean, I'm just, hopefully it will because, I mean, I will watch it again once at home for sure. I don't know about yeah, after that. Absolutely. But, but I, I'm glad to have movies like this. It's been a fun kind of few weeks, months here at the beginning of the year. I've been pleasantly surprised by more than I thought I would. You know, Uncharted yeah. was not great, but it wasn't quite the dumpster fire I expected, which made it exceed my expectations. And it's been kind of, I've had that happening now repeatedly and i feel like it's just we're in for a good year it doesn't have everything doesn't have to be great i think that's part of it too and you know if you heard anything we said in this whole episode so far and that we keep repeating and parroting in all of our episodes recently it's it's that like be content with a movie you just enjoy be happy with that like that's great that's worth championing that's worth talking about that's worth being happy about and sharing with your friends and family and such it doesn't have to all be a top 10 favorite of all time for you That's to absolutely be true. excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would gladly sit in a writer's room like a movie like this to just learn because again, this feels very much like a, a college level class that I could sit down and say, all right, why did this make, why did this work for me? Let's find out. <laughs> well, that's all I've got, Aaron. Do you have anything? Well, I did want to make one quick note before we go. We got a message recently from one of our Fuel and Film contributors and former guests named J.B. Huffman, who is starting a new podcast called Manly Movies. In his podcast, he's going to have guys get together to talk about their favorite movies and the lessons that they can teach us about being a man. It's set to be released on March 31st, and the first episode will be on Field of Dreams, featuring another familiar guest, Don Shanahan, from Every Movie Has a Lesson and Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. The feed for Manly Movies podcast is already up, so you can just search for Manly Movies in your favorite podcast app and subscribe. You can also be sure to follow him on Twitter at Manly Movies One as well. Fantastic. Be sure to check that out. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Feeling Film. Next week, we head on over to Netflix for Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood, the latest from Richard Linklater. So be sure to come back for that. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.